All right, so as you heard, I'm Kendrick. This is my wife, Amelia. We haven't had the opportunity to do this sort of teaching a whole lot. Um, conferences, that kind of thing, but not like this. So it, we're interested to see how it's going to go. Our hope is that it would be very participatory, that you would join in with us. It could be kind of a discussion we're having. Um, and in general, we wanted to we wanted to feel like some humans having a discussion with other humans about being human. So that's kind of that's going to be what we kind of focus on, and and very particularly how humans feel is going to be an aim. The conversation that we want to have is about embodying the love of God on the mission of God. And there's some things that stand in the way of that, namely the things that we deny and lie about our feelings, right, our experience. The things we, we contort and confuse and and try to ignore in our lives. Uh, so we're going to hopefully get to some place where it's more than just exchanging some ideas. Though there will certainly be some teaching happening. That it's more of a feeling that what we discuss tonight will be felt. And that you would be willing, we're asking you to be willing to enter into that and be vulnerable about the things you feel. Uh, and we both have psychology backgrounds. Amelia's is more extensive than mine. But uh, I'm not going to brag too much on her. She's smart. Uh, psychology, sociology, anthropology, in, in general, the ideas of humanity. And theology, philosophy, like what we think about God and what we think about the meaning of life. Those, those two worlds, too often, we think, are held separate. And they need to come together. It's, a, it's almost like connecting your heart with your head. And that's what we are aiming to do. So this is a preamble of sorts because I want you to be willing and I know these spaces well, and I know our resistance. Uh, we we much prefer to just gain some information, write it down, and maybe refer to it, but probably not, and feel good about some knowledge that we gained in this experience. Or even regurgitate it. Yeah, learn to regurgitate so we sound like we know yeah. what we're talking about. We just add it to the, the things that we use to cover up who we really are, uh, uh, intelligence that we might use. So enter into this with us. The growing pains that we're going to feel, we'll feel them together. Learning to understand the world around us and the world within us, it's all necessary for this calling we have to be the body of Christ, to be the people of God on the mission of God. They're gifts from God. They're ordained by Him. So we're going to read some scripture in the very beginning. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Can hold something? Yeah, that would be awesome. I'll hand it to you Genesis chapter, she's going to hold the mic for me. If y'all knew our relationship, y'all would know how meaningful that is. To me. uh, Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read a chunk from there, and a chunk from Genesis chapter 2, I'll tell you, and then Genesis chapter 3. Get our heads around what it looked like at the very beginning when God was setting all this stuff in motion and, and what we did to kind of throw it off. Uh, and while we do this, I'm going to ask you to consider your presence. Your presence in the room, your presence under the hearing of the Word of God, your presence in your body. Don't let it just be uh, uh, some, some words off the page. Don't let it just be something you hold in your mind, but really try and feel what's happening here. Hear what's, what's being said. It's a poem. It's supposed to evoke emotion. Hear what's being said. Know that these are real people and they had real experiences and try to imagine what it feels like. That's the encouragement. I can't force you, though. Genesis chapter 1, verses 25 through 28. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Chapter 2, starting in verse 15. Oh, I mean, 
One more verse in chapter 1, verse 31. God saw the, all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. Now, chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to zoom in now. We just saw he created man and woman. We're going to zoom in and see some details of this. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every animal and every bird of the sky and brought each of each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, there was no helper found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs, closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he, he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one, at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. In chapter 3, starting in verse 4, Satan's talking with this woman and saying to her, No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then their eyes were open, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and so I hid. Then he asked, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave me, she gave me some fruit of the tree, and I ate it. So the Lord God asked the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of God. It is true. It is living. It is active. It draws us in. It's a familiar story. Likely many of you heard variations of it. If there's depth, there's depth there, and there's order there, and there's structure, and there's timing there, that we should consider. What is it they're feeling and why are they feeling it? That's the question. All right. So as we, the people of God, on the mission of God, participating in this larger story, we would say we believe that salvation doesn't stop. It's not completed at conversion, yet we live life without any exploration of who we are prior to conversion and the impact that might have on us as saved beings. Over the next two weeks, we want to explore what's going on inside of us as we seek to, as Colossians says, take off our old self and put on a new self. With that said, the mention of psychology might have elicited a specific response from some of you. <laughs> so to clarify, all we really want to do is consider why do you do what you do? And how does your prior story influence that? So this week and next week, we want to specifically discuss the all too common human experience of loneliness. I'm sure that you've all experienced loneliness, but... Our awareness of that varies from person to person, and what we do with it really matters. So, 
we've put some questions. There's like papers on each table you have to share. Um, but there's some questions to consider. So we're gonna carve out some space to like really dialogue. You can do this as like just you, or you can have conversation with the people at your table, but we do wanna come back and have a larger conversation as a room. Um, so let's take a minute and, and consider what is it you see when you picture a person who feels lonely? We all have a mental picture, so being honest about what you see. And then, when you consider loneliness, what do you personally feel? Now, you're going to think about this picture, but you're going to want to just think about it. I want you to really consider what is your response to loneliness. I don't want you to feel lonely, but when you see loneliness, when you imagine it, what do you feel? What, like, what is it that rises up in you when you see someone experiencing loneliness? Gotta be honest about your feelings. We're gonna ask you to share those in a minute. I wanna tell you about when we moved to Dallas, um, 2020, February 2020, I was determined, God was sending us here, and at this time, to plant a church, February 2020. So you guys probably know, there was a global pandemic. And we all of a sudden felt very alone. Our sending church, church that I shared in planting, and and was an elder and a leading teacher there, uh, went silent. They were busy trying to figure out what to do like all the other churches in the world. And we didn't have time to get to know our neighbors. And I knew some local pastors and we were connecting some over Zoom. And then there were these horrific murders live for the world to see. And I felt even more alone and more afraid and have brought my family into that. So in this moment, I drew on a story, not anticipating all these emotions to flood in, because that's the first thing I thought of when I thought of, what, did I, what does it feel like to be lonely? To move to a new, humongous city and not have any connection to anybody and to feel responsible for having done that to my family and then having the people I thought loved me seem like they don't even remember me. And then God, who I believe theologically is sovereign over all things, orchestrating this. What's going on? At no point did we think we should move back. We knew we were supposed to be here. But it was so lonely. That's a glimpse of it in my story. There's a lot of other points of loneliness I could point out. I generally feel lonely a lot. But maybe for those who are less in touch with the feeling of loneliness, maybe that was some help. Now, you share with us, what do you picture and what do you feel when you consider loneliness? I feel like nobody cares. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to feel, right? Anybody <laughs> I think about isolation was kind of the word that Mind, just being isolated, not surrounded by other people. And the thing that came to mind for me was just like was COVID and feeling of like having like all this tight knit, the community, friendships, family, or whatever. And then that, like us being like overnight, pretty much like forced to like not see anyone in person. You know, it's like Zoom, FaceTime yeah. only. And then eventually, maybe like drive by birthday parties and stuff like that, you know. But I just thought about like how that community all of a sudden got dropped down. And we had our group here, you know, we were sheltering in place together. But I had coworkers, you know, like single, like uh, living alone. And yeah, it was, you know, just to see kind of how it impacted them. Obviously, in an even more direct way than you know, we were dealing with it. So, yeah, isolation was kind of the, yeah. the word that I thought it was about. 
Yeah, in isolation feels empty, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a complex word. It's different than solidarity yeah. or or uh, solitude, right? Yeah. It feels like solitude would be with great greater purpose. Yeah. You're going to gain something in solid in solitude. Yeah. But isolation, you feel like something's being robbed from you. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And in yours, uh, what did you say again? Just being alone. No one cares. No one cares. Uh, after we'd already moved on, I thought it's for me. I would say no one cares, but also they don't understand. So even if they claim to care, they don't understand. So I still feel lonely. Is that? It's kind of like I've got this stuff going on, and it's just me. Yeah. Nobody knows. Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knows to care. Yeah. I I can definitely relate to that in the sense of I will have people tell me they care, and I don't want to. I don't want to like say no. You don't care. I don't actually know. But I think if if I'm saying what you're feeling, it's an experienced care, and so I believe you care, but I'm not experiencing a felt care like on my end, Uh, because I think people even in that time, like people from our former church, like you mentioned, I think they cared, but they didn't know how to do it in a way that we could actually experience being felt like we were being cared for and so just good but i think to put an emotion word you're feeling sadness in this like loss uh, because you've lost something and you're hurt in, in this in this aloneness and so both of those are valid experiences but to just kind of draw it back to a specific emotion there's this sadness and this hurt that we experience in our loneliness it's good and also with yours you could be lonely and with people which is crazy, right? <laughs> You're not alone, but you feel lonely. That's something to think on, too. Yeah. Also, thank you, because that's most of your experience. Like, yeah. right, we all walk around with people around us in all a, the time. In a meaningful lonely. relationship, but still feeling lonely. Yeah. Or if you've ever been to lunch with somebody and you were trying to reconnect, but it didn't feel like you were connecting, you were just talking, you were very lonely with that person. And there's probably people you like to go to lunch with because you don't feel lonely with them. Yeah, so maybe that's helping some, too. Anybody else want to share? I think there's such a bent to be false self. So for me, like, Thank I discovered you. that concept of <laughs> false self. Um, I mean, there's like a deep anger associated with loneliness. Good. There's so many types of sadness. And loneliness, there's a false sadness there. But for me, there can be this anger of, like, a, maybe a frustration. Frustration is a better word. Not being known. Um, not that nobody cares, but nobody really knows you. But for me, there's like this constant battle that presenting a false self that keeps people from that group yeah. because it's so scary to be known so it ends in this frustration and you think that, that for a while like autonomy is going to be really fun and it is for like five minutes and then you just it just manifests itself in like eating poorly and not you know you're no self care and you're like maybe not like maybe there's other saints that are way better <laughs> but for me it's like you're going to binge eat sit on the couch yeah you know so it, it, it's like a weird frustration associated. That's good. Yeah. I actually prefer the word anger. I thought that was a good word. Yeah. It's a passion for justice. Something's not right and you want it to be right. I think that's what biblical anger is. That's good. Thanks, man. Um, I have like a, a deep well of like shame. Mm. I'm not doing enough to reach out to others. I I don't know why it's hitting me so hard right now. <laughs> I guess I'm really just realizing how lonely. Like you're lonely and it was your own making, so you feel shamed about it. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Mm. I'm sorry, brother. Thank you for sharing that. to that just if I don't acknowledge it it'll go away mm-hmm. yeah. I, 
this might be redundant because you address, and I don't know your name with Daniel, you address that you can be like lonely while being in a room full of people, but the word that came to mind was two words actually feeling unseen and not having a place of belonging. Yeah, this is not in my script, but we are like, so what we're looking for, like the internal cry of all of our hearts is to show up in a space and say, okay, there's my people and they're really happy to see me. Not and when, when we experience that, we feel like we belong. We're not alone. And so for all of you, when you walked in here, there was some element of, oh, okay, they're here. I feel good. And Even for, if it's your own family, but there is a group, belonging. For our group, they walked in and were like, all these people I don't know. And you're like, who are y'all? So they didn't feel like they belonged right away, but y'all, y'all turned that around, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They now feel like they Ben, if you're listening, they were very welcoming. No. Um, so the word I wanted was shame, so good on you, Tom. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> but uh, shame is kind of where I was going in the sense of it's wrong. We really believe loneliness is wrong. Um, and there is something culturally, but there's also something implicitly that says we shouldn't feel lonely. Um, and with that, I want to just briefly kind of tell you about this toxic shame, because that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about a healthy shame that leads us to repentance or to do something with it, but it's this toxic idea that we're doing something wrong. And so Chip Dodd would say, um, impaired shame, We in impaired shame, we have learned to equate humility with humiliation, failure with uselessness, and the inability with worthlessness. This experience makes healthy shame toxic. Our shame has become so distorted that it is unrecognizable as a help for our relationship. Rather than lead us to acknowledge our neediness, toxic shame entangles our hearts, tightly binds them up, leaving us unable to experience a full life because we've experienced our natural place. We believe we should hide who we are and we should center our lives on doing it. This toxic shame is really rejection of the image of God we all carry in our hearts. Toxic shame denies our humanity as a feeling, a needing, desiring, longing, and hoping creatures. We reject our heart through the belief that we are made defective. So with this idea of loneliness being wrong, Consider, for those of you who are verbal, but those who weren't, why did you think you shouldn't be lonely? Like, what is it about us? What is it about your story? And you don't have to share that part. But what is it about your story that tells you 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 need to get out of this loneliness? You're not supposed to be in this space. It's like, consider if you dare. That's kind of Take that one home with the you. The reason we have the false self or the reason we get busy doing stuff, we try to pretend we don't care, is because we don't want to feel whatever feelings are associated with loneliness. It's one of the so-called negative emotions. And she's saying it's not wrong in the sense that it's not sinful to feel it. We try and lie and say we're not feeling it because we believe it's a sin. There's great evidence in what we just read that it's not sinful because in Genesis 2, verse 18, the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. So we know something very clearly. It is not good man should be alone. But also, sin hasn't entered the story. And he's noticing Adam's loneliness, and he's calling it not good. And there's two, there's two Hebrew words that could be used here. One just means, like, it's it neutral. Bad. Like, good, no, well, it's not good, it's not bad. It's this. And the other means it's bad. This is bad. Now, what, what we're seeing God do in creation, we didn't read the whole thing because I knew y'all were going to get tired of me reading. Some of y'all were definitely were, don't lie. We didn't read the whole creation story, but what God's doing in creation is he, he speaks and everything exists just all of a sudden. But there's no order to it. It's crazy. It's chaos waters and chaos skies and Everything's going every which way. And he begins to put it in order day by day. He's bringing the chaos into order. And when Genesis 3 gets here, we reintroduce chaos into the story. But in step by step, as he's adding order, he's saying, Adam's alone. All these other animals, as we saw in chapter 2, have their helper, have their mate. And he's brought all of them to Adam. After he already acknowledged it's not good for Adam to be alone, he then brings every animal to him. For Adam to see how lonely he is. That one doesn't fit with me. That one doesn't fit with me. He feels lonely, lonely, lonely.
lonely and then what does Adam do to not feel lonely anymore did y'all notice it what does he do nothing he doesn't do it he can't he can't fix the loneliness if sin had already been introduced in the world surely Adam would have tried a thousand things to fix the loneliness because it feels wrong he would have tried to fix it but God puts Adam to sleep so what he actually does is rest in God's faithfulness God removes a rib he makes woman and then finally Adam says at last my love has come along <laughs> my lonely days my lonely days <laughs> That song is about Jesus. <laughs> so loneliness, if we're going to try to define it, even though it's kind of nebulous in a lot of ways, is a so-called negative feeling, so-called. Loneliness is complex, because as we said, being alone isn't necessarily wrong. Solitude, seeking something of yourself or something of the Lord isn't necessarily wrong, but this removal of what God created, this isolation, which was a good word, this, this separation, whether physically or emotionally, from who we are as human beings makes us feel lonely. It's this longing. It's a hunger in us for something that ought to be. It's an anger in us for something that ought to be. Our loneliness is our bodies telling us we need to be known and we need to know others. By God's design, we're meant to be known, not just by one another, but by ourselves and by the triune God. We've been invited into holy communion with the creator of all things, and he designed it in such a way that we would have one another to multiply and fill the earth with his glory as one. And we broke it. And we reintroduced chaos. And it feels really lonely. And it just so happens that a lot of other emotions come in with it. So we also feel sad and shame and we feel anxious because we can't fix this thing we messed up. So loneliness is what we feel when we're lacking this knowledge of God and this knowledge of one another and this knowledge of ourselves to be known and loved and belong and matter. We're so afraid that's never going to happen, so we're lonely. And according to God, that is not good but not in the sense that it's sin you need to repent of not in the sense that you broke it you fix it but then that we need to trust his faithfulness and rest in him and find even even as this world gets worse and worse we're not alone he's going to restore it all and the loneliness will be gone for once and for all okay so really quick I want to just take a moment and pause and say we're not trying to say uh, relationships are the fix. And so God gave Adam Eve, but we're talking about community, like a larger picture community. So from a single folks, you are very much yeah, needed. A lot of people use that as a marriage thing because it is marriage. It's a holy, the first holy marriage. But it's way more than that. Yeah. It's about God establishing community. community. It's about humanity coming together yeah. by his design. Yeah. For his work. I assumed you guys got that, but just in case. Um, okay, so there, we're talking about loneliness. There are types of loneliness, and we're going to explore that next week, so stay tuned. Um, <laughs> It'll be. <laughs> for now, I want to take a minute and explore how sin contributes to our loneliness. So let's take a look at what some refer to as the development of the human soul, which you guys have the picture for. Um, but as my friend pointed out over here, we're really just looking to understand how this false self competes with the true self. Um, so if you'll go to the bottom of the concentric circles, there's a small circle, and this is your core self, or it's a true self. Um, I want to call that a typo and say that it should be a tiny T. Um, and the reason for that is we're, our aim is to become a true self, like the true self that God's created us to be. But at conception, at this moment when we're created, we're sinful. And so we can't be fully our true self because we were created in sin. So this idea of God creating you, he knit you together, he made you the way that you are, um, and then you're born. Um, and anyone who's had a kid or been a kid, you realize you can't do anything for yourself. Um, 
so, yeah, you've just come out needy, um, which is good. Uh, there's this adaptive self. So what I mean by adaptive self is if any of you have ever had or held a baby, you know that you are not just responsible for their care, but you are the one that's teaching them to emote. You're teaching them how to respond to a situation. So we're shushing them, we're patting them, we're caring for them. And that is very like maternal. It's a very normal parental thing to do. But also that baby is borrowing from you how to respond to this world. So when they're hungry and you're like, oh, it's okay. You're allowed to be a little frustrated about being dirty or hungry or sleepy. You're validating that. And that seems so silly, but it is so significant because there's no shame involved here. You're telling this individual, this is exactly how you should be responding. And so I'm going to assume you're all good parents in here. We fail even as good parents, to adequately validate these things. So we, we're busy, we have life, we're doing things. So as we move forward into that false self, a lot of things impact the false self. But in this particular room, it, a lot of it is just life. You have a personal experience. So listening to your baby cry on end drives you crazy. And you say or do things that you don't necessarily want to do. Or you're doing a job, and so you have to pass your child off to another person to care for them. And that's not wrong, but ultimately it would, we would love for it to be us that's caring for them. Or whatever that is, there is this sense in which we are impacting these little people that we've created. And as people, we were impacted by the people who created us. And so there's not a shame or a blame that's belonging there, but an acknowledgement that some of the things that are wrong with us, we can't pinpoint because we don't actually remember that. We just learned it. Um, but in addition to that, that false self comes from learning to be a little bit evil and sinful. And so all of you who are parents, right, like they just start lying. And you're like, where did you get that? Like, I don't lie to you very often, I don't think. Um, but they just become liars or they bite each other or they hit each other. And it's just in their nature to be rebellious. And so there is this sense in which this thing that was created by God is not wrong, but is wrong. Like, it's not seeking out evil, but it's just in us. This is who we are, and we need a savior. Um, but it's significant to stop and consider how even as a seven-year-old or my four-year-old, um, she loves to dance and be crazy, but specifically dancing. At the end of every movie, she'll say, can I get up and dance? Um, and she just wants to be crazy. Um, and so every once in a while, it's really cute, and it's beautiful, and it's well-affirmed, and we do great to be parents. And then other times, we have like a crawl space into her house so she starts jumping and everything starts rattling and so there's this thing in me that says stop um and so I'm not telling her you're dancing and it's terrible stop but there's something about me even telling her to stop that tells her I can't be quite so free here mm-hmm. and that's a big deal mm-hmm. and that's in all of us mm-hmm. someone is squashing these things that are very true to God created us to be and so just like sitting with that and like owning the ways that you've been wounded significantly impact the way you relate to each other. And you're not meaning to be harmful and hurtful, but it's just in us because we were wounded and we hurt people in our wounds. And so I'm asking you guys to consider this. We're asking you to consider this because salt and light will never be salt and light. Like, to the to DFW, to the world, if we're not aware of the ways that we are saltless, like we remove that. Mm-hmm. It's not like the, the devil is real, he's out there and he's doing some stuff, but a lot of what our problem is is just us being us. We don't want to be us. So the false self starts at two. But take a look at your friends because they're false selves. That's what he's, he's saying. There is such a desire for us to show up in this space tonight, not as the created being that God made us, who's flawed beyond you know understanding, but there's this false version of us that's really well put together and doesn't have any problems and is totally fine. Somebody asks you how you were doing. He's like, I'm fine, right? Like, I'm fine. That's just what we say. Um, the loneliness comes when you believe you have to be that false self that Gabriel talked about. Like, we believe there is a version of us that fits in this space, and only that version of us fits here. But that's not you. That's some story that you've been told, that's some lies, some narrative that's inside of you that you continue to believe. And instead, we need to just rest 
stop, be who we are. Um, he'll tell me all the time, the version of me he likes is the real version. I'm like, that can't be true because she's crazy. Uh, but there's some honesty to that crazy version of me that isn't trying to do anything and he can trust it. Let me pause for a second because I know there's some people in the room who are prone to shame. And what it, what's being communicated is like that there's some flaw that cannot be remedied. That's the reality. That is what we're dealing with in our broken state. We're broken. And there's this thing in us that wants to not be broken, which is a really good thing. And so we try to fix it. But from our earliest moments, we've been conditioned that who we most internally feel like is wrong. Mm-hmm. And so we've learned to cover it up. So what she's communicating, and, and just to say it more simply, is we've learned how to lie and deny who we are. Yeah. And the person we give to the world is fake. It's the person we created because we think that's who the world wants. Because our parents trained us that way. Unintentionally, they, they love us, they care for us. Maybe some didn't. Some have much worse experiences than others. But we've been conditioned to be accepted. We have to be what people want us to be. So the person we give them is who we think they want. That's true of every human except for Jesus. And Jesus has done the work necessary to bring us back to our true self. And that's where this is going. So if you're feeling buried under shame, know that that's right. That's you being told you're human. That's your body saying, I'm human. Everybody feels that. And there's only one who knows what to do with the shame. So that brings us to a point of surrender, which is a lot of what next week is. So I don't want too many spoilers. All right. So the next circle is common grace. I want to be clear. You're not moving into common grace. Common grace exists. It covers this false self that we have. And so I would assume all of you have kind of a working knowledge of common grace, but this is just breath. Like we're sinners. We deserve punishment for our sin. And so this is every moment that you exist without the punishment of sin on us. This grace that God offers us as believers and lost people to move about in this on this planet and do good things like create vaccines or cure things or grow plants. It's all God being gracious to us. Um, and so the loneliness is, is here when we stay in this false self. So uh, if we continue to believe that we have to be this um, managed version of ourselves where we navigate around all of our like flaws, then we're, uh, we're left alone. Like he said, no matter, Daniel, no matter how many people are around us, we are unmet with care. We are unseen. We are not cared for because we are not our, like, we're not even here. Like, it's not us that's showing up. It's this version of us that you might think you know and you care about, but that's not me. So it's not connecting because that's not who I actually am. And so the only way that happens is if we can move past that false self and into this redeemed self. And that's where we see this small T start to become a capitalized T. And obviously that doesn't happen until we're in eternity, but is this ability for, um, as the Lord's Prayer, like this heaven on earth experience where for these glimpses of moments, I show up and I'm a really, like, I'm me. And I'm predictable, not because he knows how to predict, but I am me. I'm just being me and I'm safe in my own skin and myself. And so he knows how to interact with me because I'm okay. Um, that's where my loneliness is no longer exists. Like it no longer exists, but so does his. Like it, it dissipates because we're actually able to be together as us. Naked and unashamed, but we're wearing clothes. Uh, Usually, yeah, no, okay. Okay, so here's the kind of the statement. So your loneliness isn't a thing to be fixed. It's a thing to be felt. That's what he said. I was like, you'll get a woo on that. (laughs) So we'll say it again. Your loneliness is not a thing to be fixed, but a thing to be felt. So no, no matter how hard, the call is to really sit in your loneliness. To ask God to reveal the truth of your loneliness in order to truly live free. This is a call to your own story in order for you to own your identity as a man or a woman created by God to be used by God. So all this means that we are free from toxic shame. We're free from self-pity, but we have to walk in awareness of who we are. That's wounds, weaknesses, and the ways we sin against each other. If we can walk with awareness of those things, we are free 
to see how we are both formed by God and deformed by our own stories or the world around us. So we, walk for, or we are free to walk in truth of who we have been created to be rather than continue to function in our false self. So what that means is we get to be, pre- rather than being present in community, we get to participate in community. Now the people of the world without Jesus, all they have to offer is a false self. And some false selves are really awesome. <laughs> and we celebrate them. So they're encouraged all the more to do that. It, it really, every, in my opinion, <laughs> every person who makes it to the top has done a really good job of presenting this false self that is celebrated. Celebrities, all-star players, like, like amazing athletes are so motivated by their shame and their fear to prove somebody wrong that they make it to the top and they're alone because they've never actually felt free to be themselves. They never felt safe enough to be themselves. So we have all these people doing ridiculously crazy things, celebrities falling off, even celebrity pastors falling off into all kinds of crazy things because they're so alone. They're lonely because they've never let themselves be known and they've never done what's necessary to open themselves to know someone else. So there's a sense in which we're either lonely for more of God, which is always, we're lonely for more of others, which is always, and we're lonely for more of ourselves. And that's a hard one to fully grasp. But that's a reason to seek solitude. I need some more of myself. And God can show you who that person is. If we don't know who we are and we don't know who God is, then we can't, we can't embody Christ as the church in the world. What this church needs is for you to show up as yourself because everybody's uniquely different and contributes to the body of Christ. But if you're striving to be something you think people want you to be, you can't be yourself and you won't be known and you'll continue to be lonely. So we come together by God's design as we are, surrendering to him, finding Christ makes us new and the new us is the true us. And then we live a life fighting to continue to put the false self to death because the, because the power of Christ enables us. That's why the people of the world can't do that. The power of Christ enables us. The same spirit that rose him from the dead is in you, rising you from the dead again and again as you continue to return to the things that you think are going to fix your loneliness. God says, rest in me. I'll, I'll do it. I've already done it. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of the gospel to make us new. So it, it can sound like a conflicting thing. Loneliness isn't wrong, but it is not right. It's not good. And God has what, what we need to be made whole. Yeah. So we return to him, and we have to do that together. Yeah, I would just say, well, two things. One, for, like, just to put this out there, for those of you that are, like, your story is riddled with, like, tr- like actual trauma and pain, there is a real sense in which we can't leave loneliness to even experience the other emotions because there's no safety outside of this space. And so if loneliness is really the only thing you know, there's work to be done to consider why. Because if I'm the only person I can trust, I can't move from here. I'm very, very stuck here and loneliness will be all I'm able to access. And then in addition to that, um, shoot, it left me. Survival. No, that wasn't it. Okay. It'll come up next week. It wasn't good. All right. So we didn't warn you, but we want to have like a question answer time. Yeah. So, because we know this can kind of be um, out there a little bit and it's familiar to us, so we don't always explain it. So, if there are questions, we'd love to answer them. If there's challenges, I'd love to be challenged, so please bring it. I'm just kidding. I didn't mean to sound like I was going to fight you. We're not going to fight, but I would love to work through the difficult concepts. We also, yeah, you're right. I don't know if Yeah, to actually 
Loneliness feels safe, right? Right. Feeling what God intends for us, it feels safe. And that person has to do their own work to find safety in their body, which I totally agree with. But what can we do as a community to create safe spaces? Because I feel like individuals have their own work, but I also think there's like a communal work that I feel like I would love to learn more tools about participating with whatever body you're part of to create safe spaces for others, even if something may not be unsafe for me. But how can I caution myself where I'm actually considering someone else? Realize, like, I want to create a space that people can be vulnerable and their true selves can show up. Yeah. And so there's that, like, I have to keep hiding because if I don't hide, I won't go on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll say first, it's a really hard and slow work uh, for everyone to show up honestly and then not stop people from feeling their feelings. We have so much codependency in relationships that we feel so guilty when other people are mad or sad or lonely or whatever it is that we want to fix it for them. So even if you are able to somehow learn I can trust and just take the risk of trusting someone to know me, then they still have to be healthy enough to not try to fix your problems for you. That's what our parents did, and that's what we do. We're like, our kids are sad. We're like, stop crying, stop crying, stop crying. They're mad. Don't be mad, don't be mad, don't be mad. And they learn, oh, I'm not supposed to feel feelings. So we all go through life shutting down our feelings. So now we're trying to reactivate them to connect our heart with our head and see this is actually what it means to be truly human like Jesus is. Because he certainly felt sad. He certainly felt anger. And he knew what to do with it. And loneliness is, is more ambiguous because we can't fix it. So we have to learn to rest and trust. So it's a, there's resources available. There's some on that sheet, some books that are helpful. But also it's just a practice. It's a slow, arduous practice of showing up and being honest, taking the risk of being hurt, and then knowing what to do with your hurt, and knowing how to be honest with that person and maybe educate them on how to receive me. Uh, and then we, if they're worth it, like we enter into it, and if they're not, then I think it's actually good and right to seek safety. Because if you've been traumatized, there's no sense in re-traumatizing. And that's a complicated and difficult thing, person by person. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's a couple answers I would give to this. Um, as a provider, I would say definitely the one-on-one -on -one care is going to be essential because the more I heal privately of my own wounds, the more I'm okay in everyone's spaces. But that wasn't your question. So I would say as believers, as a body, um, I want to come back to this idea of wounds, weaknesses, and sins um, and ask the church to consider um, what, where are we hurting each other by calling people to repent of their wounds or their weaknesses? Um, so your wounding isn't something to repent of. You, you actually have to heal from that. And so the church collectively has to stop having, um, like, not they're not really having a meeting to say let's all be like but there is this co collective atmosphere that we create that says okay they have a wound and we make you feel your wound and that's the trauma that you're talking about if we know this to be true of you why are we aware of it in a way that you know we're aware of it but not because we're extending hospitality or care or concern or holding space for for you in that way so my first thing would be like let's hold space for wounds in the sense of like let's just call it a wound and stop penalizing so-and-so for experiencing something in their life. Or excommunicating them. Right. And then weaknesses. We are so all too quick to like cancel you because you're weak in this area, but we are intending to build you up. And so as a body of believers, how do we come alongside people and strengthen their weaknesses so that they are strong or they're becoming stronger? And then lastly, sin. We want to ask you to repent of wounds, but very rarely do we enter into a space and ask you to actually repent of your sin. And so we're backwards. That's why it's not safe here. Like, not specifically here, but in the church. And so if we were actually able, as believers, to show up aware of our wounding, our weaknesses, and our sins, we would be so much more aware of our need for God and so much less occupied with what's going on that you, that you need me to point out. Um, but we would hold space because I'm wounded. And if I'm willing to admit my woundedness, I will let you be wounded with me because we're not alone. We're both wounded. We're both weak. We are both sinners. And so it's this ability to be you that lets people be them. And so the other thing I would say very practically is just telling people, 
I don't like that. Or like being courageous enough to say, you hurt me with that. Um, And you being courageous enough to say, okay, you don't have to repent of hurting me. If you sinned against me, you should repent. But if I'm hurt by you, there's not an obligation for an apology or repentance. Just holding that like, okay, that hurt her. It wasn't my intention. Sorry that that's how it happened. But we just move on. And that is okay. But it's not okay. And so as a a body, we, again, will point to, okay, well, she's wounded by that. Like, don't talk to her about whatever. Don't correct her anymore because she'll get all upset. No, I need to be corrected. But I need to be corrected for where I'm failing, where I'm in sin. And then I need to be loved for the spaces that I just can't show up to the capacity that you need me to show up at this space. Because in reality, I'm just being me. And my me is butting up against false you. And so if we can just be us, we would be okay with this is just kind of crazy. Like this is just who we are. But also the world is going to want to be a part of that. They don't want to be a part of whatever it is that we're putting out there. Do you have any examples of what you were just talking about? Because I I think I was following you maybe towards the last half, but like like relationship wise? Yeah, or you were saying like the church Maybe kind of like asking for repentance. Yeah. Okay. That well, first step. Like, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. All my eight friends out here. Um, most people don't like us. Women eights don't go well in the church. Um, my whole childhood was the church. My dad was a pastor. Eights are also, they exaggerate a lot. So. No, my whole childhood. The whole thing. Um, the majority of my childhood in the church was pastors, deacons, mothers, fathers, whoever, telling me that I don't get to say how I feel about things, when I think about things. It's a requirement for me to say I was disrespectful. How dare I have an opinion and share that because I shouldn't. Or um, for me in the church, like as a wife, um, I have a job. I only have two kids and they go to public school. And so I have to apologize for not being appropriately Southern because I am not barefoot in the kitchen, making pot, whatever. Um, Like there's this whole established idea that the church would rather talk about that version of me than the actual things in me that the, like the devil uses to divisively like do things in my marriage or in my children. They're not worried about my heart. They're worried about my persona and how I make all of you guys feel. Make your false self better. So I make you uncomfortable by being me, but you don't care enough about me to actually work on me. In part because of the wounds. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I'm, I am the way that I am because God created me this way. My parents, like, wounds, everything made me this way. But me telling you how I feel about things is not wrong. It just makes you uncomfortable. And so my experience has been I, like, legitimately have had people apologize for hating me because of the way that I am. I don't know what they're talking about. They're just telling me they're sorry. But no one has ever come and checked on my heart and wanted to know, like, where am I hurting? Where do I need to be, like, actually cared for and discipled and shepherded? And so my pastors are more worried about what I'm doing to you guys than what is going on inside of me. And so that's it. Like, if we can be a church that cares about, like, what's going on inside of you and not about how we're showing up in a space, then we are a church that's actually shepherding hearts, souls, that direction, rather than just looking really good in DFW. Um, I want to add a thought because there's some resistance in me when I first heard her say, um, you don't have to apologize for hurting people. Anybody else feel that resistance? (laughs) I felt that. Okay. So there is, a, I agree, first of all, I agree with it, but there is a sense in which you can feel sorrowful mm-hmm. that someone is hurt and not have to feel guilty yeah. for having hurt them. If you didn't actually do it, if, if what Amelia is trying to do is show up fully as herself, honest about things, and that hurts you, she didn't sin against you, but she did hurt you. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't have to feel guilty of sin that she needs to then repent of. But she can still feel sorrowful. Like yes. she can feel sad that you're hurt. Sadness is a good way to honor your friendships. But it would be codependent of her to think she's responsible for how you feel. 
And we're looking for something deeper than codependence. There's an interdependence that we can have when we're all honest and present and then accept and love one another as we are and still want to be better, knowing that we can't make ourselves better, only God can. But we build systems and structures within the church that trick ourselves into thinking we can make ourselves better. If we just do these disciplines and we attend these programs and events, we can actually make ourselves better and we're only contributing to the false self and then we get more sucked, sucked away from who we actually are instead of surrendering to God and allowing Him to make us new. And that surrender happens again and again and again. The more honest we are and the more present we can be in every given moment. All right. I don't want to take too much time. Is there any other question? Well, as I say, we can also talk about it after. Yeah, we'll hang out for a little bit. It's only 5 and 11, so. All right. If there's other questions, any I just other mean question? Like, or comment. We also take affirmation. Also, you. One way I think we can all help is uh, so much to explore false self. False self is insane. Just the practices to combat it. That it is ancient, slow, quiet, antithetical to culture. Yes. Do do do. Silence and solitude has been like the biggest balm for my soul in 30 years of being a Christian. And I think when we practice those little literal spiritual disciplines, like that's a broad word, but there are actual ancient spiritual disciplines, centering prayer. And like being a Southern Baptist growing up, I didn't know about until I lived in New York City and had a pastor teach me about it. And I just know that through practicing that, you start to grow in discernment of what it looks like in other people when they are presenting a false self. Yes. Yeah. I'll never forget my pastor in New York. Sunday after Sunday, when I'm dating no one, come up and talk to me, ask me how I'm doing, and I would make a stupid joke, and I would deflect potential that's there for me. And so often, he would just sit there and smile and just look at me. Like, he wouldn't laugh with me. He wouldn't respond in a way that affirmed my... Mm-hmm. And he wasn't making me feel shame. He was just like... He was letting me sort of get all this out. And it took me weeks and weeks and weeks to learn, like, he's loving me. He's making me realize, like, I can't be fake with him. Like, yeah. Just show up and be real. And uh, he taught me an amazing lesson that way. And then I kind of... And I still struggle with it. I do it to everyone. <laughs> Yes, that's so good, man. Yeah, some of those resources on that paper are books that talk about those specific things. How these are ancient practices that help us be like we get so caught up in the doing, we got to learn how to be yeah. human. Yeah. All right. That's good. All right. I just want it to be over. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think that's a good note. It's a practice, and it's constant practice, and we can't fix it. We're always going to struggle. We're always going to work through it. Um, and even even as we learn to seek solitude and silence, there's still the sense in which we want to survive. And survival requires us to not be ourselves because we're vulnerable, weak, and needy. But Jesus calls us not to survive, but in fact to die again and again. And that death is what brings about the renewal. So I'm going to pray to that end and lead us in communion. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for your goodness. Lord, thank you for your sovereignty and your faithfulness that you have perfectly designed it that we would long for the things we need the most Lord forgive us for ways in which we have sought to fix that in ourselves or to numb the pain or to act like we don't care would you help us to feel lonely and know that it is our our God given gift to indicate our need for intimacy that we would be known and loved by one another known and loved by ourselves, known and loved by you. And Lord, we know that you have accomplished that in the only way it could be done through your, your sacrifice, the giving of your son. Jesus, thank you for your death and for your resurrection, that we would have hope for new life. Lord, as we are about to share communion, would you let it be a, a supernatural experience, a reminder in a natural way of something that has occurred in history that 
change the trajectory of all things, that we now have the grace and the power to be who we ought to be. And as we sacrifice and become who we ought to be, help us to accept and know who we are right now is yours, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. No need to be buried by shame because he despised it when he went to the cross. That our hearts would rejoice in the truth.